0: I'm Chris Oaks and coming up today what has always been a challenging job became even more so over the past two years which makes recognition like the Findlay Rotary's Golden Apple Awards even more rewarding for the dedicated educators who literally shape our future. Also this morning, we've talked about the international politics behind Russia's invasion of Ukraine. There is also a strong cultural context driving Vladimir Putin's actions that cannot be ignored. And the pandemic put unprecedented strain on American health care and demonstrated the importance of a well-functioning system. Best-selling author Dr. David Wilcox says patients already hold the power to make that happen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, March 7th, 2022. If you need a reason to celebrate today, it is Plant Power Day. Doesn't that sound like a Saturday morning cartoon? Plant Power! It is Plant Power Day! Uh, He says in his best announcer voice. (laughs) Um, National Be Heard Day, National Serial Day, you can pull yourself a, a bowl of cereal and watch Plant Power on Saturday mornings. Uh, and uh, National Crown Roast of Pork Day. So there is that as well. Reasons to celebrate. So uh, here is the uh, latest. Um, you know how companies all across the world are uh, severing ties with Russia. Uh, the latest among them, Nike and Ikea, have now suspended operations in Russia, and those companies that have not already are finding themselves under increased pressure to sever ties. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, some companies are getting boycott threats. People saying, if you don't cut ties with Russia, we're going to boycott your your brand. Some of those companies that are facing uh, boycott threats, McDonald's? And PepsiCo, uh, under a lot of pressure for continuing to operate in Russia for the time being. Uh, some other companies that are now being pressured to sever ties, but have not done so yet. Estee Lauder and Kimberly Clark. <laughs> and I saw that on the uh, newswire. Kimberly Clark, you know what they make, among other things? Toilet paper. you want to bring a country to its knees, cut off their supply of toilet paper. You remember what happened at the beginning of the pandemic when you could not find toilet paper on on store shelves. I mean, society was just on the, about on the verge of breakdown there. So you want to, you want to bring a nation to its knees, cut off their supply of toilet paper. I think we've really uh, stumbled onto something here. That's, um, Kimberly Clark, uh, among those, sent a a letter on Friday by the head of New York State's pension fund, which owns shares of Kimberly Clark and others, uh, urging them to consider pausing their operations in Russia. Very strongly worded letter, not quite a threat, but uh, certainly a strongly worded letter. Uh, New York State Comptroller Thomas DiNapoli Wrote in the letter that the companies continuing to operate in Russia face significant and growing legal, compliance, operational, human rights, and personnel and reputational risks. And that pausing or ending operations there would play an important role in condemning Russia's uh, invasion of ukraine fundamentally undermining the international order that is vital to a strong and healthy global economy etc 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 but that's what i just saw that is kimberly clark you gotta get kimberly clark out of russia and that will bring i think a swift end (laughs) to this conflict you think about it so of course the most visible impact to the united states as a consequence of Russia's invasion of Ukraine is being seen at the gas pump, right? We're seeing gas prices skyrocket uh, because of all of the upheaval. For the first time in any U.S city, the average price of gallon uh, average price of a gallon of gas hit five dollars. Five dollars a gallon. That was in San Francisco on Thursday. It was the first time ever anywhere in the US been over $5 a gallon on average. Now that's just in San Francisco. Nationally, the average price for a gallon of gas increased by 11 cents between Monday, February 28th and Thursday, March 3rd to 3.72 a gallon. A month ago it was 3.41. Uh the highest hikes in gas prices over the last week according to this uh, report. Michigan 39 cents a gallon indiana 36 cents a gallon illinois 31 cents a gallon and ohio up 30 cents so right here in the midwest is where we are seeing the biggest spikes in gas prices not the highest gas in the country again that's in san francisco and california the west coast Uh, they always have high gas prices um So we're not the highest in the country, but we're rising the fastest in Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, and Ohio. The head of petroleum analysis at GasBuddy says American and EU sanctions are having a severe impact on Russia's ability to sell crude oil. Thus, crude prices have skyrocketed. And I know that there is an awful lot of pressure uh, growing on the Biden administration to uh, open up uh, more permitting and get american oil companies drilling again and producing more and so on and um but it's not quite that simple i mean oil is a global commodity and like it or not we are a part of that whether or not we are quote-unquote energy independent and um there, I don't want to go too deep into the weeds on this, but there are a number of factors at place, not just as simple as, well, let's stop importing oil, let's produce our own oil and, and be done with it. It's not quite that simple. And uh, so we are still, could we be doing more? Sure. As a matter of fact, Elon Musk even uh, over the weekend suggested that the U.S. should produce more oil. He said, yes, that would hurt my company, Tesla, <laughs> obviously, but... Extraordinary times call for extraordinary measures. I think he used those exact words. So uh, certainly a lot of uh, pressure, but not quite as easy as drill baby drill uh, to keep gas prices low. They're going to go up regardless just simply because it is a global commodity. So but, uh, in any event, uh, a couple of other uh, interesting stories among the first things that you need to know this morning You remember the uh, Oscars uh, surprised many people and they announced last month that they are going to drop a number of awards, about a half a dozen awards from the live broadcast. Uh, Now the Hollywood Reporter says that those changes were made after threats by ABC television to drop the broadcast if they didn't. They say uh, they were told by a source that ABC uh, issued an edict to the academy that it would not it would cancel the Oscars telecast because there is a clause in the contract that uh they apparently can do that. They initially wanted 12 categories to be removed from the show, but the eventual plan to drop 8 categories from the live show was a compromise. Um it's still not sitting well with Hollywood, but at the end of the day ABC is not there to you know, make Hollywood happy. They're there to sell advertising and get people to watch the Oscars. And if they think that those categories are not going to draw in audiences, you can see where they're coming from. The uh, categories uh, for film editing, production design, sound, makeup, hairstyling, uh, original score, and three short film awards will be presented before the telecast, and then uh, the announcements and the speeches will be edited down and presented during the live telecast, but they won't be presented during the live telecast. The only one among those, I think, that I would have liked to uh, see stay was uh, original score, best music for original score. That, I still think, is a pretty cool category, and it seems like there's always a blockbuster film that wins that one. You know, block, big blockbuster films like the Batman, for example, probably is not going to win Academy Awards uh, for acting and directing and all of that, but they may win special effects. They may win best score. They may, be you know, so it's a chance to uh, honor the uh, big blockbuster films that always seem to win in the, in that category. or so even makeup and uh, and hair. I know they're not big categories, but usually big blockbusters win. Anyway, see how that goes. I just thought it was interesting that uh, as it come to find out that it was abc that pushed the academy to drop those uh, wordle um have you you get into the wordle craze i have not i know a lot of people have i have not um now uh apparently people are cheating in wordle this is the this is the thing now wordle a, a wildly popular word game that the new york times recently purchased Uh, Word Finder X, a word games reference tool, conducted a study using Google Trends data to find out how many people are searching for the answer to each day's Wordle game. They looked at data through February 20th and found that Google searches for today's Wordle increased by 196% since the New York Times bought the game. Search interest for the day's Wordle had the largest one-week increase from February 6th through the 13th. When interest jumped from nearly 70 on Google's popularity scale to 100. They say the biggest Wordle cheaters can be found in New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Vermont, Washington, D.C., Massachusetts, and Maine. Uh, New England uh, folks are cheaters. You're cheaters. They all had the highest number of today's Wordle searches in that time period. The least likely to cheat are players in Alaska, Mississippi, New Mexico, and Kentucky. So, for what it's worth. That was kind of interesting. And how about this? Among the first things you need to know this morning. We mentioned only a couple of weeks until spring. Well, we're only a week away from, once again, springing forward for Daylight Savings Time. Or Daylight Saving Time. Daylight daylight Saving Time. I don't know the proper term. People... Get bent out of shape when you say it wrong. Uh, the American Heart Association research shows that losing an hour of sleep in the springtime, only the beginning of the negative impacts associated with springing forward. Many studies have linked the practice of setting the clocks ahead to an increase in the incidence of heart disease and stroke. A 2018 study from the American Scientific Sessions showed that hospital admissions for AFib, the most common type of irregular heartbeat, go up during the transition when we spring forward. I wonder why that would be. Studies showed no difference in AFib admissions for the days following the end of daylight saving time. When we fall back, it's not such a big deal because we are gaining an hour of sleep. Another study linked the loss of an hour of sleep with a 24% increase in daily heart attack counts, while the regaining of an hour of sleep was associated with a 21% reduction in heart attacks. It is thought that these health changes likely have something to do with the disruption of the body's internal clock. They say you should work on improving your health all year, but there are some specific steps you can take right now to prepare for the impact of springing forward. So do this this week. Start getting as much exposure to light early in the day uh, and as much exposure to light during the course of the day as possible. Start winding down a little earlier in the evenings. And do not compensate with extra caffeine if you are feeling tired. Don't nap if you're feeling tired, as that can make it harder to sleep at night. So things you can start doing or not doing right now this week to prepare for the time change. You are welcome. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started.
1: WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather showers likely today with a high of 42 becoming partly cloudy tonight, a low of 30. A medical helicopter landed at the scene of a crash in Arlington last night. It happened at North Main Street and Vale Street near the entrance to the Dollar General. It appeared a car had struck the bridge there. Firefighters had to extricate people from the wreckage. ODOT was called to the scene to inspect the bridge. Get more on the website. A law passed last year gives county commissioners in Ohio more power when it comes to approving wind and solar projects. Most townships in Hancock County have asked county commissioners to approve exclusion zones to prohibit such projects. Tim Miley, director of Finley-Hancock County Economic Development, says that would hurt the county's economic growth.
0: So we want to make sure that we're thinking about future economic development projects that may require renewable energy, that an exclusion zone would kill those projects up front and what the local controls are in place let's allow the commissioners to use the local controls rather than
2: excluding projects right off the bat.
1: Miley points out the two solar projects planned for the Arcadia area would not be subject to any action by the commissioners because those projects were proposed before the new law took effect. Get more on the website. A sports-centered art studio in Cleveland is in limbo as the March 31st home opener for the Cleveland Guardians has been postponed.
3: Greg Vlasic and the rest of the GV art and design crew have seen sales of their Guardians gear skyrocket since the name change announcement and have been busy preparing new designs for the season just postponed. We've been working the last month or two on some new ideas, some new designs, some new products. A big factor in determining those product drops is how long this lockout goes.
1: That's reporter Will Ewick with ONN affiliate WKYC TV in Cleveland reporting. Finley had quite the rock scene in the 60s. That's a band called Children of Time. You can learn more about them and many other Findlay bands in a new exhibit at the Hancock Historical Museum called Findlay Rocks the 60s. The exhibit is a walk down memory lane, giving people a chance to hear the music of the time as well as band members' stories of what it was like playing rock music in Findlay in the 60s. Learn more about the new exhibit on the website. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com.
0: And now we get to our cover story this morning and what has always been a challenging job became even more so over the past couple of years, to be sure, which is why recognition like the Findlay Rotary's Golden Apple Awards makes it even more rewarding for the dedicated educators in our community who literally shape our future. Matt Hall is here from the uh, uh, Finley Rotary who's heading up the uh, Golden Apple Awards uh, program once again this year. And Matt, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We certainly appreciate it. This is um, again, annual awards people know about this. I, i'm I'm sure, but for the benefit of those who don't, talk a little bit about what the Golden apple Awards are all about.
2: Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Chris. Um, again, this is our thirty second year that we've had the Golden apple Awards. Um what we do is we we recognize um, three teachers from the elementary. The middle school and the high school divisions, mm-hmm. and then one of them is, is the finalist, is the winner, and, and they receive twenty five hundred dollars. Um, but but really, all, all all of them are winners. Yeah. Um, and what we're what we're asking now is it's the time to time to nominate the teachers. So we're we're asking um, people to go out and, and nominate those teachers. It's a very easy process. Um, all we're asking them is just to describe the the positive impact these teachers have have had in their lives and that's all That's all. Rest. That's
0: all the nomination process is, mm-hmm. and then you do all of the heavy lifting, and it is some heavy lifting. You go through a pretty comprehensive process to uh, evaluate and, and uh, whittle down the nominations.
2: It is, and we ask a lot from the teachers as well, so we mm-hmm. ask a lot of their time um, kind of gathering some information for us to help uh, whittle down to those three students, and then we put be- between uh, the Rotary Club and past Golden Apple winners We will go into the classrooms and and, uh, both interview the the teachers themselves and then watch them in their classroom and how they interact with with the students.
0: Now, we mentioned over the past couple of years, uh, obviously, education has been very different. Uh, Fortunately, they're back to pretty much normal now. Uh, But that was a a more complicated process over the past couple of years. It was.
2: It was was difficult and frustrating for, for everyone and, you know, teachers walking around their classrooms with the, with the <laughs> monitor and we're on zoom yeah. so showing us that their classroom was, was tough. But. Yeah.
0: Um, but it, it's one of those things you carried through, uh, the uh, pandemic and kind of, you know, um, Again, made adjustments just like the teachers themselves. Exactly uh, to continue to, to do that.
2: We felt like out of any years to to stop those years were not once to, right. to stop nominating these teachers and and, and showing them uh, why we care about them.
0: So how uh, how big of a deal is it to now be back to more of a normal uh, situation in terms of evaluating, going through the process uh, for the uh, nominated teachers?
2: Oh, it's 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 everything. I mean. To to watch them in their classroom is really the only way that we can see, you know, who stands out above the above the rest. But Mm -hmm. but there are just so many great teachers in in Hancock County.
0: And over the years, there have been there are any number of reasons, not just a one size fits all. I mean, there are a lot of different reasons why these teachers stand out uh, among their peers. Exactly,
2: exactly, and and a lot of times. It is. It's not only parents or students that are nominating. It's their. It's their peers. It's the. It's other teachers mm-hmm. that whether they're they mentors to, to them, um, but they're the ones that are nominating, and those might be the reasons that they're selected over the over the others.
0: And I would imagine that's. Uh you know, Part of what makes this really interesting, really fun for uh, folks like yourself who go through this process is to see uh, all of the ways in which you know, educators – and we are blessed in this area with some very, very good educators uh, – and, and all of the different ways that they are finding to – Connect with students to uh, to get them to learn the material that they need to learn and and all of that. A lot of great ideas. Exactly.
2: Oh, that that's exactly it. And we can't see all of those. And that's why you know it comes back to the last segment again. The the bosses. Uh, and, and those administrators, recognizing them by, by you know, letting us know what they're doing that, mm-hmm. that stands out above the rest. Yeah.
0: So uh, kind of take us through the uh, process. Once you get the nominations, the nominations are open now. We'll uh, explain how folks can nominate uh, here in just a moment. But then what happens with those nominations from that point forward?
2: Yep. So thank you. Um, so again, nominations will be now until April 8th. Once we get all the nominations together, um, we will let each of the, the teachers know that they were nominated. Um, from from then, from um, probably mid April to uh, July, we will ask them to gather information. So the teachers will have to put together a resume. They'll have to ask for a nomination, uh, of, for a letter of recommendation from an administrator in their building. Okay. And um, and then put together the reasoning why they should be uh, why they should be recognized. Um, then it's up to us to whittle all those teachers down into the final three. Mm-hmm.
0: You have uh, interviews with those teachers then?
2: We do. And that, we'll start that when the school year begins in the fall. Okay. And we'll do that within the first month of the school. We'll have the interviews with the teachers and we'll we'll sit in their classrooms. And then in October is when the, the, the ceremony is.
0: Yeah, the uh, you mentioned... You actually uh, step into the classroom and Mm -hmm. and spend some time uh, seeing that interaction personally.
2: Exactly. Yep. We just stand in the back. You know, just like a fly on the wall and watch, mm-hmm. watch the teachers do, the, do their work. Yeah.
0: The, uh, then the awards are in the fall. Correct. So obviously, this is, a, again, just demonstrates how involved this process is. You're starting now, and the awards actually won't be uh, for several months yet, uh, even into the, uh, the next school year. For those who want to nominate uh, a teacher, and it could be for whatever reason. Uh, again part of the part of the interesting part of the fun uh, part of it is is you know why people are are being nominated exactly
2: exactly and that that's it is open-ended we're not you know asking you to write a whole long narrative mm-hmm. of why you or think- putting
0: any qualifications on it. exactly I mean, you just you know yeah. because every teacher touches a student or a family in a different way exactly yeah yeah so uh that process is how how do we dominate
2: so uh the Website, Uh There's a link to the Golden Apple Award nominations, and we just ask for a few things. Name, email address of the nominee, and then name and the school building of the teacher, and then describe the positive impact this teacher has had on the specific student.
0: And again, uh, it's the Finley Rotary, but it's not limited to Finley City School. Uh, nope. Teachers,
2: Finley and Hancock County, yeah, correct. So, uh,
0: and that deadline for nominations is uh, April eighth. April eighth. Uh, so we have that link up at our webpage. If you want to check that out online, and again, uh, this is something one of the other things that we've talked about, and we'll uh, talk more about it when we get closer to the uh, awards themselves. Uh, there is an award. I mean, you know, it's recognition, but then there's also a cash award, and so often. You see those uh, teachers just turn around and reinvest that into the uh, classroom. Exactly. It just kind of demonstrates why they are uh, at the top of their game. Again, uh, Matt Hall with the uh, Finley Rotary Club. Go to uh, goodmornings.net if you want to link up to uh, nominate a teacher Uh, in whatever class. I mean, these can be standard classrooms. I know there have been music teachers and
2: e-teachers
0: and, you know, all kinds of teachers. They take all different forms, uh, and they're all eligible. Exactly. Uh, check it out online for uh, more information. Matt, thanks very much for dropping by. Thank for you. Time. Well, you recall last week we were discussing the international politics behind Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which is important to understand, but there is also a cultural component that is likely at least as much a driving factor behind Vladimir Putin's actions. And it is something that cannot be ignored or underestimated. Dean Foster is the founder of DFA Intercultural Global Solutions and has published a series of books aimed at helping people understand cultural practices and idiosyncrasies when they are doing business in other parts of the world. And he recently wrote a piece for the website Medium.com on what he calls the cultural context of current events. And Dean, first off, you say this is a fundamental driving factor between behind all of human social behavior. And if you ignore it, you're only getting you're only understanding half the story
4: absolutely, Chris. Um, you know someone once said that culture will eat your lunch. Culture is what drives the political decisions that nations make. It's not the other way around. We used to think that culture was the soft result of political and economic and and social policy decisions that nations made. But in fact, if you take a look at what's going on in the headlines, in every case, you need to understand the culture because that's what's making the political and economic and social policy decisions.
0: So in the case of Putin and Russia and Ukraine, there are several layers to this cultural context, which in some cases uh, dates back centuries. So let's start with Ukraine because this is a perfect example. One of the reasons that they have as an independent nation positioned themselves as the gateway between west and east culturally is rooted right there in the name
4: exactly Uh, first of all we need to be clear the country is ukraine or as europeans refer to it ukrainia but it's never to be referred to as the ukraine which in the past we often did because to say the ukraine kind of demeans its status as an independent nation an independent and very different culture from the russian culture and from russia so the country is Ukraine or Ukrainia, but not the Ukraine.
0: And it actually means uh, borderland. That's right. It's a borderland between East and West,
4: between uh, Russia and the rest of the countries in the region. And uh, it distinguishes itself from it is the border on the border of Russia on the border to the East. But it is not part of Russia.
0: So that kind of, like we said, explains why they kind of feel positioned uh, as that gateway between East and West and the current dynamic. And then in the case of Russia, uh, my takeaway from your analysis, if I'm reading this right, is that obviously this is a country with a very long and proud history, again, dating back centuries. But in more recent times, they're still kind of searching for their national identity in the present global dynamic.
4: Absolutely. And, and that's been the case throughout history for Russia. That's one of the central aspects of Russian culture, that it is neither East nor West, but it is, it is Russian. And there is always a search for an identity. If you look at Russian literature and Russian arts, which often reflect this idea in all cultures, the arts reflect these, these deeper ideas. You see this searching for an identity, for a Russian soul, for a Russian myth. And uh, in Ukraine, uh, we don't search for that. Um, there is a clear understanding of our identity, and it is clearly Ukrainian. In Russia, it's harder to define what Russian culture actually is. And, the, and, and what it is, it is includes a sense of searching for an identity.
0: So you can start to see... Uh, the the roots of that conflict, if you will. And again, if I'm understanding you correctly, that may provide some explanation of both why Putin is doing what he's doing and why many of the Russian people are as, as as appalled as the rest of the world, these different visions of what their place is in the world today, maybe as opposed to the past.
4: Absolutely. I mean, Russia has always seen itself as the heart of the Slavic world, certainly the Eastern Slavic world. And therefore, they are the ones to lead, uh, in their mind, they are the ones to lead that region. And um, it's it's a unique dynamic between Ukraine and Russia in that um, Russian orthodoxy as a religion and Eastern orthodoxy came to the Slavic world not through Russia. Russia did not drive that process. It came through Kiev. Uh, Kiev was where Eastern orthodoxy, the Russian religions, uh, the Ukrainian religion and the Eastern Slavic religion that's where it began that's where it was centered mm. and Russians and Russians chafe at the fact that Ukrainians claim this as their founding founding aspect and and Russians And Russians want to claim it as theirs.
0: Which, uh, again, uh, maybe gives some context as to why uh, Putin and uh, some of the individuals in like-minded individuals in Russia see Ukraine as so incredibly valuable uh, to recapture. So uh, to kind of take that one step further, then, if that is indeed Putin's mindset, is there any way that this has a quote-unquote happy ending and is there any way that this has a positive outcome for ukraine with vladimir putin still in power
4: this is a replay of ancient history that's happened again and again and again and if we look to history for how this is going to play out uh it's going to be painful it will engage all of the world's efforts uh putin is not going to stop trying to do this um, and as he gets cornered by the rest of the world, uh, he's going to become more and more dangerous. Uh, now, one can hope that this turns out OK, but this is going to be protracted and the Ukrainians are going to fight um, and they're probably going to suffer a great deal. They definitely will suffer a great deal. Mm-hmm. And, and and they are overwhelmed. They will be overwhelmed by Russian military might. Uh, it doesn't mean the story ends there, though. I think then we're going to be faced with a long, protracted resistance, and that's going to eventually, eventually play out. If it does, as history has, it will play out against Russia, because Russia will not be able to maintain its presence there.
0: And, and that kind of actually was, leads to my next question, circling back to Ukraine and how all of this uh, impacts them. What about? Ukraine in the long term. I mean, they've only been an independent uh, nation from the former Soviet Union for 30 years or so. Um so not a long history of democracy as we understand it today. Uh so even if they retain or regain their independence, do things go back to the way they were up until a couple of weeks ago? I mean, they've been considered the most westernized of the uh, of the of the former Soviet bloc nations. Will a new Ukraine uh, look dramatically different when this is all over?
4: I think that if the if Ukraine is able to establish itself independent from Russia and independent from Russia's influence, then I think it has a remarkable chance to become a real democracy. Um, because if anything, this has pushed Ukraine further into that camp, and it certainly pushed the West into, into defending democracy. Um, so I think Ukraine has the potential uh, to develop into a truly independent nation, and a truly democratic independent nation, if it can be free from Russian influence. And uh, that's always been its struggle and uh Russia is going to make it very difficult for Ukraine to
0: do so. So that's a big if. Really fascinating uh insight into the cultural context driving Vladimir Putin's actions that we have seen unfold over the past several weeks. Again, Dean Foster is founder of DFA Intercultural Global Solutions, a number of books aimed at uh, helping people understand cultural uh practices uh in in business settings around the world and this piece we will We'll link up at our webpage so uh, folks can take a look at it. Dean, thanks very much for taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Chris, a pleasure. Thank you. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Police in Denver, Colorado are investigating a rather unusual robbery. A thief made off with a box of human heads, <laughs> a box of human heads. Authorities say the robbery occurred between the afternoon of March 2nd and the morning of March 3rd. The suspect stole a box labeled science care it was full of human remains to be used for medical research or rather a macabre theft. Uh, science care is a program for donating bodies to science for educational purposes. <laughs> no arrests have been made. Should anyone find the human heads or no information about the suspects, they are encouraged to contact the Denver Police Department. <laughs> I I'm I have to wonder whether or not the uh, thieves realized what it was they were stealing. I mean, did you intentionally? Steal a box of human heads or was that an accident? Do you think you were getting something else? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let's see here. Elsewhere in the broken news, since early February, people in one neighborhood in East Las Vegas have noted some uh, noticed some some sort of mystery substance was dropping from the sky and covering nearly everything around them. Uh, in it's sort of a black, brown, some sometimes oily like substance, an oil like substance, and they have finally figured out what it was. The Clark County Devi- Department of Environment and Sustainability has revealed that this neighborhood is being covered in bee poop—the <laughs> <laughs> the droppings of bees. Uh, lab ref- results have confirmed this. Uh, the public information officer for the Department of Environment and Sustainability, Kevin McDonald, says, quote, it's more or less a nuisance. But we have seen in other areas around the world that industrial pollution can lead to environmental and health impacts. Uh, one beekeeper in the region says that the weeks before spring are a prime time for things like this to happen as bees emerge ...and swarm in new places. (laughs) Entire neighborhood being covered in bee droppings. That probably doesn't help your real estate values, I wouldn't imagine. (laughs) Story of Katie... uh, I'm sorry, Carly. Carly Cindy of Asheville, North Carolina... ...has been going rounds with the state's Department of Motor Vehicles... Apparently, she was recently, she recently applied for and was granted a personalized license plate, which reads, and I'm quoting, fart, F-A-R-T, fart. Uh, she says she applied for the plate back in October, and she was actually surprised when the request was approved, and she was issued the license plate. But she says she got a letter in the mail from the DMV uh, just a few weeks ago, telling her that complaints have been lodged about the license plate and she might be allowed to keep the plate, but only if she replies with an explanation of what the plate means. Otherwise, it will be rescinded and she'll have to get new plates. Uh, Cindy consulted with some friends. She, fa- <laughs> she wanted to keep the uh, plate, so she founded a group called Friends of Asheville Recreational Trails. Friends of Asheville Recreational Trails. <clears throat> Fart, for short. She said the group has a mailing list, a website, merchandise, even holds meetings. She says she submitted her letter of explanation to the DMV and is now waiting for a response. <laughs> Fart. What else would it mean? What else? Uh, of course that's what it means. What else would it be? <clears throat> Do you hear about this? A bit of a scare. Uh, On a flight from Seattle to Orlando, Alaska Airlines, Uh, the flight landed in Orlando, left from Seattle, landed in Orlando yesterday afternoon, but it ended up sitting on the runway for about an hour before it was allowed to uh, taxi to the terminal and people were allowed to uh, deplane. This is because officials were investigating an airdrop message uh, that uh, someone made reporting that the plane had been hijacked. The plane had been hijacked. It wasn't. Turns out it was a 10-year-old that was playing a prank. (laughs) A 10-year-old found out that they don't take too kindly to those kind of pranks. Police took the child and his mother off the plane, although no charges are uh, expected to be filed. He's lucky. Yes, they they don't have a sense of humor about that at all. Don't do that. This is kind of interesting from uh, Indiana. And I'm not sure exactly where in Indiana this was. A, a teacher by the name of Michael Hosinki has been arrested on felony battery charges after he allegedly slapped a high school student during a verbal altercation back in February. Security footage Of the incident shows uh, Mr. Hosinki attacking the victim uh, in a uh, disagreement over the sweatshirt that the kid, the student was wearing. Uh, So he has been charged with felony battery for uh, slapping the uh, student during a verbal altercation. By the way, it's uh, kind of interesting because uh, Mr. Uh, Hosinki was just named teacher of the year. (laughs) Just named teacher of the year. Or not. And finally, in the broken news this morning, you know, the state of the world has a lot of people upset, but I'm not sure that you can use it as an excuse to get out of a traffic ticket. Uh, In Florida, the Flagler County Sheriff's Office says an officer pulled over a man in Palm Coast a couple of, uh, a few days ago now, for going 50 miles an hour in a 30 mile per hour zone. The driver (laughs) told officers... Uh, I just found out that Putin is saying he's going to launch nuclear thermal war against the world, and I was trying to get back to my house to find out what's going on. <laughs> that was his excuse for, for speeding. Um, uh, the uh, deputy can be heard saying, I saw you run a stop sign, make a left turn, and then hop on the gas. And he explained that he was concerned about uh, the possibility of nuclear war. Now, the report doesn't say whether the driver was actually cited, but I don't think that that's going to get you out of a ticket. You know, that's, I just don't think that that's going to. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less. Of Hancock County Veterans Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. The pandemic outlook is improving across the country and health officials are cautiously optimistic about the downward trend in Omicron cases. A number of states and large private businesses have announced a reduction or dropping of mitigation measures. We all share the same goal to get to the point where COVID is no longer disrupting our daily lives. Here at WFIN, we'll continue to pass along the latest information so you can stay informed. 1330. WFIN, Wfin WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. Your daily download now, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. This is really interesting as we uh, all head back to work uh, on this Monday morning. American workers uh, apparently are not feeling very appreciated for the work that they do. In a new one-poll survey of 2,000 people, 63% Nearly two-thirds say they feel unappreciated by their employer on a daily basis. Bosses lift and up. Almost as many, 59%, say that they have never had a boss who truly appreciates their work. 41% said favoritism among employees from management makes them feel the most unappreciated. Another 39% cite a lack of communication and recognition from higher-ups. And almost half, 46%, say they have left a job because they feel unappreciated. 65% admit that they would work harder if they felt it would be noticed by management. This is a really interesting stuff for employers to uh, take note of. When asked how employers could improve in terms of recognizing and appreciating the work that employees do, Interestingly, only 33%, only one-third said salary increases. Uh, 35% said that they would like recognition in the form of perks or bonuses or a formal recognition program. 30% said wellness and professional development stipends would do the trick. 22% named praise from management, just a pat on the back. And another 22% would like recognition from their peers. We were talking just the other day about how despite many efforts to reform American health care over the years, we still haven't caught Quite gotten it right. And the pandemic, while it led to some innovations that in some cases addressed shortcomings in the system, it also exposed others that need to be further examined. Transparency in healthcare, or the lack thereof, has long been a concern for patient advocates like our next guest. David Wilcox is a best selling author and healthcare professional who believes that proactive patient education enables those accessing the healthcare system to be better partners in their care. He holds a masters in health administration and is board certified in nursing informatics. His latest book is How to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System: A Patient's Handbook for Survival. And David, let me start with the pandemic there and the and the lessons. Uh, what, what can we take away from this experience over the past 2 years when it comes to advocating for better healthcare for ourselves and our families?
3: Sure. So, um, the one thing we can take away from it is the fact that if you're going to enter the American healthcare system, and uh, the past two years have been a very stressful way to enter the American healthcare system, to be sure, you need to be yeah, you need to be proactively educated. How do you um, be a better partner in your healthcare when you're in the hospital? So it's no secret that medical errors were the th- third leading cause of death. They are now the fourth due to COVID. Um, And so that speaks volumes about, you know, you have to know what's going on around you, be aware of your surroundings, ask questions. A lot of things happen um, around medications in the hospital. If somebody's trying to give you a medication that you don't know, I mean, you want to stop and ask them, what is that medication for? When did my doctor prescribe it? What are the side effects? You want that information. I mean, no, no nurse or doctor goes to work to do a bad job. Unfortunately, with the stresses, of the American healthcare system and how many patients you have to see to make it profitable for the bean counters at the top, there are going to be situations that are harmful.
0: Something we've heard about in the pandemic, how overworked doctors and nurses are. How much of that really uh, is what ails us versus all of these other policies, procedures, that kind of thing?
3: Yeah, so long hours, I mean, uh, as a nurse that did 12-hour shifts, I wasn't my sharpest in my 11th as I was in my first hour. Sure. Um, so a lot of that is dependent upon what's going on in my assignment, but maybe I have a patient who's not doing well, who's requiring more of my attention. So it there's a lot of factors, a lot of variables into the acuity of the patient's um, and into what you can do as a caregiver, depending on what kind of support system you have. And right now, the support system behind the caregiver, be it a physician or a nurse, is not the greatest. We've seen that. We've seen the pandemic start to evolve a different model of healthcare.
0: You know that brings up such a good point, and I'm I'm thinking for all of the conversations that we have had about reforms that are needed within the healthcare system. I don't know that we've ever talked about or anyone has ever brought up the idea of limiting the on-duty time or mandatory uh, rest periods for doctors and nurses. And we have this for airline pilots. We have it for truck drivers. It would seem that it would be at least as important to have mandatory break periods for those who literally have our lives in their hands. And of course, that speaks to the question of, do we have enough of them to provide you know, those types of manageable work schedules?
3: Yeah, it's different in healthcare. And I've worked in organizations where the answer to the nursing shortage was, hey, if somebody called in on night shift and you were working 3 to 11, you just stayed until 7 in the morning. Hmm. So the basic underlying thing that we have to get right in the healthcare system is the payment structure. So under a fee-for-service model, the the providers are incentivized to see as many patients as they can. If you don't show up at the hospital, and we saw this during the pandemic, then they don't get reimbursed, right? So you have to be present in order for them to get money. And if you're present, they better be able to see you, the doctors especially, within five minutes, get you in and out so that they can see their quota of patients so that uh, money can be made. There's another system called value-based care. Value-based care is distributed by accountable care organizations, which is a fancy term for saying a bunch of doctors within the same um, group. So if you're you're seeing a general practitioner, he's going to refer you to a cardiologist within the same group. These guys get a capitated or a certain amount of money to care for you. Their main job is to keep you healthy and away from the hospital, which is a totally different model than fee-for-service. So just to run some quick numbers for you, Chris – During the pandemic, the hospitals that we bailed out with taxpayer dollars cost us an awful lot of money just to keep the doors open. Value-based care, where it didn't matter if the patient came in or not, they still continued to receive their funds, saved $4.1 billion.
0: So we have uh, some experience with this. Why isn't it more common?
3: Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of stipulations around it. And you know, being a practice who's going to go at risk, because that's what this is all about. It's an at-risk model saying, hey, I've got the tools to keep Chris healthy and away from the hospital, take care of him if he's a diabetic to check his A1C on a regular basis. So that part of it, um, providers have to go at risk for. So if you've only got 50 people in your practice, you're probably not going to go at risk, right? You're mm-hmm. going to stand under that fee-for-service model. If You've got 500,000 patients within your practice. You stand to make a significant amount of money while giving them better outcomes. Because unfortunately, with healthcare, it's all about the dollars at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. I want to go back and and, uh, focus on something uh, that we talked about in the introduction. You uh, are an advocate for proactive patient education. Define that term because I think many people interpret that as doing research on the Internet. And again, as we saw during the pandemic, there is a mountain of misinformation uh, on the Internet. So what is proactive patient education?
3: Well, um, to, to put it quite frankly, it's the reason why I wrote this book and took that mountain of disinformation and made it into a mountain of information that you could consume. I mean, you could do research on the internet, but it would take you forever. Um, and the chapters of, of my book definitely lay out what to do if you're in the hospital to stay safe. So the other part of it is if you're going to get a prescription and you go to the pharmacy and it's $700. And so my wife downloaded good RX and found the same drug for $63 across town. Yeah. So there's all these unknown variables in the proactive education piece is understanding things like good RX, um, you know, or understanding how to go after an insurance claim.
0: You know, like we said, uh, we have talked about reform in the healthcare system for decades. We've tried some things. Uh, there are other things that we've just talked about. Um, But we seem to be at a point where there is very little appetite politically to engage in a discussion about further big picture type of reforms. We're getting piecemeal measures like regulations uh, on price transparency uh, or the recent measure in the state of Ohio to reduce surprise medical billing. Are those things enough or do we still need to think big when it comes to reform?
3: Yeah, we need to think big so the price transparency thing was actually an executive order issued by President Trump when he was in office it right took effect on January 1st of 2020. since then this past January they increased the fines. So before, it was only like $110,000 a year if you weren't transparent, and the hospital systems were like, heck with that, you know, I'll just pay it. And they increased the fines to about $5,000 for over 30-bed hospitals. So that roughly means $2 million a year, hoping people will, or hospital systems, will start to understand that they're serious about it. They still haven't collected a cent. The thing that you alluded to, and I know you don't want to go deep into the politics, but Um, You know, these guys, they're taking money from the insurance companies they are taking money from the pharmaceuticals. Everybody says, let's go after uh, big pharmaceutical agencies and reduce high prescription drug prices. Heck, we heard it with Joe Biden in the State of the Union address, but they just never do it. He talked about making insulin affordable. Well, people, if you're on insulin... Go to Walmart. Walmart is dealing directly with the manufacturer of insulin to get you vials for like $70. And of course they're doing that to bring you into shop at Walmart, but right. it's a great start. It's disruptive to the pharmaceutical companies. It removes the middlemen and it decreases the cost for you, the average American.
0: Again, David Wilcox, uh, best-selling author and healthcare professional. His new book is "How to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System: A Patient's Handbook for Survival." Uh, do you have a website where folks can learn more about the book? I sure do.
3: Um, it's drdavidwilcox.com. That's D R David Wilcox with one L. dot com.
0: David, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it.
3: Thank you, Chris. I appreciate the opportunity. Have a good day.
0: And that will wrap up our podcast for today. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That, of course, is goodmornings.net. Check us out online. Coming up tomorrow on the program, the images of Ukrainians fleeing the ravages of war are heartbreaking, and the natural reaction is to want to do whatever we can to help. But how? Until tomorrow morning. That is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, going out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.